Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. Our goal is to get to the root issues of systemic problems using a theological and psychological lens. We hope you enjoy. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings. Malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration Services, their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. This is episode 114. Uh, this is your host, Clint Davis, and I'm glad to have my friend Travis Goodman on. Travis is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's been practicing over nine years, if that's accurate. Travis, that about yeah, we're it'll yeah coming on ten here, so close. Yeah, oh yeah, just over nine. <laughs> he uh, EMDR trained, EFT trained, DBT trained. Um, he's been married for twelve years to his amazing wife Anna, and they live in Southern California. They have two boys and a girl. So he's in that dad life. Um, he used to have a podcast called Therapy for Dads, but he's done some recent rebranding. Update me on the name. Yeah, the the name is now uh, the Integrated Man Project. The Integrated Man Project, which is on Apple, all those things, and YouTube and everything else. So me and Travis got connected um, a while back through a mutual friend, Ellie Weinstein. So shout out to Ellie. And, hey, Ellie. Um, he connected us. We just looking for dads that and guys who do therapy and do this world. And so we've kind of become fast friends. And you were on my. I was on your podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, so that should come out, and we'll put that out for you guys. But uh, I was like, man, you got to come get on mine and let's talk about some stuff. So welcome, buddy. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me on, dude. And, and I agree. We I think we become fast friends. <laughs> That's a, I think we need to make a shirt or a cup or something, but, that would be um, <laughs> fast friends. And yeah, I think same thing, mutual, always good to connect with other, I think in the, this world of therapists and clinicians, I think finding other men, I love connecting because it's, we're the minority, I think. And so having the kind of relationship and bond of working through what it means to be male therapists and working in this industry and supporting one another and growing for one another, I think is such a need. Um, and so, yeah, Ellie's great. He connected us and he was a matchmaker. So I guess, you know, that's his other subset. I guess he's a matchmaking coach. That's right. Um, on top of LCSW. So, um, it's, yeah, and I'm, I'd love to have you and your episode will come out soon. I think with the rebrand, a short caveat there is, you know, all these little back end details that, uh, <laughs> bog you down. And I, I was expecting to be a little farther along, but I realized that some things I, I procrastinate on some things and other things I'm really good at. And so yours is going to come out soon and, and I'll share that. Hopefully it'll be after I come out on yours, but uh, I'm excited to release that episode because it's, it's, it's an amazing rad episode. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, tell us about you. Tell listeners kind of who you are, your story, what, what brought you into the world of being a, a male therapist and doing the things you're doing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I guess long story, not super short, but more condensed and, to the point is, um, I actually grew up, uh, so growing up family in general was okay. No major, 
you know, I was a PK, uh, dad was a pastor. He's also Navy. So reservist Navy, my mom was a nurse, uh, x-ray tech. And so growing up in the home, kind of grew up in the church, grew up, you know, living, you know, every Sunday morning, getting up super early. And I was usually part of setup or doing some type of help, uh, putting chairs out or whatever. So that was like my child, early childhood and, you know, camping as a kid and, and moved around quite a bit. Uh, when my dad was, cause he was more active Navy. And then, uh, third grade is kind of when he went reserves and became the pastor. So kind of earlier on, I was moving around then third grade on, I was kind of in one spot and that was, I guess, kind of my upbringing third grade through high school. Um, and in my sense, kind of, I don't know, looking back, I felt it was normal. There was, you know, I think most of us think our house is normal. And so for me, normal was going to school, um, going to church, helping out with church stuff, uh, playing sports, um, youth group, stuff like that, hanging with friends. And again, nothing really out of the ordinary, I would say. Um, flash forward to kind of 9-11 time, senior year of high school. Um, I was a senior, senior year, just started my senior year when it, when that hit. Um, and I remember, you know, my dad bringing me out and watching the TV and, um, as I'm sure a lot of us remember our age kind of seeing, you know, the news and watching the towers go down and kind of that moment. And, and that moment also brings me back to not only the kind of the, the traumatic experience watching this happen to people, um, in New York, but also around the same time, that's when my dad and mom, for whatever reason, I remember sitting us down saying, Hey, we're getting separated. Mm. So I think that was kind of a, I remember walking in the living room and standing behind the couch and sitting there because they wanted to talk to us. And, uh, and I, my brain is a little bad on the order of these things as our brain tends to do when these things happen. Uh, but I remember them asking me about school, if I wanted to continue at the school I was at or do something else. Uh, at the time I was at a private Christian school and I was actually partly a little done with it because a lot of my friends, close friends were not at the school. It was at my youth group and um, where I hung out with them a lot and I was kind of just done with sitting in classroom, you know, eight to five and sitting there and kind of wasting time. And mm -hmm. at the school I was at too, I, there was no way to leave early. So I had to like sit there in like two or three other classes of like study hall just to be there because of how the school was organized. I was like, I don't want to sit there for three hours staring at a wall. And so they asked me about that and also, Hey, we're getting separated. So it was kind of like this shock in the sense that I had no idea there was anything wrong with my parents. Cause there was no like fighting or I didn't, in my, what I saw was like, I don't know, my parents were married and mm. dad was a pastor. So I, there was nothing to tell me or indicators that would have led me to believe that there's something amiss, but obviously there were, and they, they kept it pretty well hidden. Um, and then at the same time, my dad too stepped down from the church and he moved, um, he moved down to San Diego, went back to full-time active duty Navy, uh, Navy, um, at the time. And I guess timing with 9-11 all kind of <laughs> coincided with everything changing. And, um, and then I was up, I was the oldest of two. I have a younger brother. Um, and I was up with my mom, and my brother, and I, I almost like didn't see my dad for almost a year. Wow. So he kind of moved out and I think I spoke to him on the phone a couple of times, but again, I think it was kind of a blank blackout season of my life. Um, my mom got, I think pretty depressed, you know, that I remember kind of just pulled away a lot. And then I was just trying to function 
I was going to school and kind of living my own life outside of the home. So I was kind of busy with working and, and school and friends. And, and then my brother, he got, we dealt with it very differently. He got real angry and got in trouble at school. And I became like the parent and trying to, you know, keep everything somewhat moving. Yeah. Um, and so that was senior year of high school. Um, and then I think I saw my dad, I, he came for graduation, I believe. Um, and then again, didn't see him. So I kind of saw him sparsely. And uh, yeah, that was an interesting, interesting season that I started dating a girl. Uh, and then my parents decided to work on their relationship and move. We all moved to San Diego. And I was actually at the time planning on moving to San Diego anyway, because a lot of my close best friends moved to San Diego. I was living in about an hour, about two hours north of there um, at the time. And so they moved. I was like, okay, I'll move with you guys. And we moved to San Diego. And my dad was still living on the naval base down there, uh, sub sub base little apartment. And then we all lived in a house. And then my dad would come and like hang out, but then go home. So they were kind of working on it. It was kind of weird vibes, you know, it just felt, I don't know, awkward is the best way to describe it, but no real fighting. It just, just felt weird. It was just a weird season. Um, well, it, it and, sounds like you wouldn't have a gauge for what's healthy and what's not healthy anyway. Right. Like no. here, it was a big surprise. So now you're back in that situation and you're like, yeah, is this going to work? Is this not, how do I even measure whether this is going to work or not? Since there's no big red flag things for you even to latch onto. No, no, no red flags, nothing. I know roadmap. So I think at the time I remember just wanting to be out of the house. Um, and I was working at Starbucks at the time. And then I started going to you know college at San Diego state. Um, and just, you know, they started dating someone pretty quick. And that's a theme um, <laughs> that I think one way I coped, I think was dating and being busy in a relationship. And um, that came up later. And when I started doing my own therapy, um, so I was in a relationship, you know, pretty committed, overly committed, I would say, you know, 120%. Um, and I think it was my way, definitely a way of avoiding, I think a lot of stuff. So, um, and then long kind of flash forward another year, I, I just couldn't take the awkwardness because then we moved into another home and then they moved in together officially. It was like, okay, things are getting better. You know, they're moving officially. My dad's moving in and. And then I just remember a Christmas, there was a Christmas in this new house and it was like, the, just the, it was, I don't know, everything just felt so surreal and awkward and just odd. And I'm like, I got to move out. I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> so, um, and at the time too, I stopped going to school cause I was a math major at the time. Cause my dad thought it'd be a good idea. Um, cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. He's like, do math, you know, engineering or math, right. Um, you'll get a job and math, kind of not so meth, right. <laughs> math yeah math mathematics uh <laughs> sorry not math don't do math <laughs> don't do drugs um your dad's do like yeah math. do math that sounds great <laughs> yeah, sorry math i probably slurred math so i was an no, applied mathematics major <laughs> and uh i was good at it because math math came easy maths came easy to me um but i could care less about it so i remember going i did one semester and i'm like i'm done so i stopped going and then at the time, my dad did not like that idea. And then I, I also started doing a theology degree and switched schools, which I really enjoyed doing. That was really, really fun. Um, through a school in Canada, it was like a satellite campus called St. Stephen's. And that I really enjoyed. And But my dad 
did not like you. I remember getting really upset in the kitchen and he did not, he didn't really listen well. And that's a theme early on He at, at that time. He didn't really listen well. Um, it was more about him and his idea, but never really heard you. So, and then I moved out with my buddies, which was great. I enjoyed that in a sense. Um, flash forward again, I moved, I uh, finished a degree in theology and my parents got separated. I remember moving my mom out to her first apartment. That was really weird. Um, moving her out. And at that time I thought they were officially done for like the second or third time. And, and this time felt more real because I'm moving my mom to her own apartment and my dad's back at the sub base. Um, so I did that. And then I finished a degree in theology and I was gonna start a master's and move up to the Corona Norco area, which is about an hour and a half North of San Diego. Um, why I moved there, I don't know. I moved away from the beach to a really just suburbia place. <laughs> I did it because I wanted the degree. So I moved there. And at the time I was about to move and my parents said, oh, hey, by the way, we're going to get another house together and move in back in together. And I'm mm. like, what? What? <laughs> Again? So there's this a roller coaster of like, we're together, we're not, we're together, we're not. And I think at that point, I was just like, definitely definitely somewhat numb to it of like, I can't think I can't go there anymore. So they did. And I ended up moving in with them because they've got a house close to where I was going. And I didn't know anyone in the area. It's like, sure, I'll live with you guys while I find a place. It's I don't one less stressor. So I lived there uh, and I was going to school. And then with one of the first in, weekend intensives for this master's program, uh, my mom called me and she said, hey, we're officially getting divorced. So another just roller coaster drop. And at that time, it just hit me. I remember looking out like at the hills and just like, just kind of just like blank for a second, just like, okay. But, and then just nothing, my brain, everything was blank. And then I, I talked to my professor. I'm like, I think I need to just pause and take a break. Cause I just, I can't focus. Mm -hmm. And at the, the church I was at the time, we had a therapist counselor on staff and I just started seeing her weekly. Her name is Marianne, great therapist, by the way. Um, and I started for the first time doing therapy. Never thought of therapy before, but it was kind of like, hey, go talk to this. I was, oh, at that point I was like, sure, I'll talk to anybody, I'll, I'll go. So I started talking to her and uh, getting into therapy and just started talking about everything. Parents divorce, the up and downness, my experience, kind of my role as the older son and, and the emotions that I think I was numbing out to just kind of just started unpacking all this stuff and just did that for well over a year uh, weekly with her. And, you know, then coming back full circle, the, the dating the girls, I realized I had a theme during the holidays. I'd find a relationship, get totally involved and then get out. So it was kind of like this. And my fear was I, I didn't want to end up like my parents. And that was part of what I discovered of fear. I didn't want to be like them. And so I would exit the relationship and kind of, you know, before I got exited, so to speak. Um, and and I remember at the time I was in a relationship, this is about ha six months into therapy and it, the light bulb went on of the realization of like, oh, I'm totally, like I had the awareness for the first time of not lying to myself, but like, oh, I'm totally in a relationship to avoid. And it was the first time I think I broke up with a girl that I didn't blame on the classic Christian thing of like, um, you know, God told me so, I need to focus on myself. <laughs> Because I totally used that excuse before, which is really bad. <laughs> Maybe you have. I don't know. <laughs> you laugh. So God, well, just God tells us all kinds of things when we don't want to do it. You know, <laughs> totally. 
the Holy Spirit led me to leave this he group me to or do leave this, this relationship or leave this church. <laughs> yeah. And which is so, oh my gosh, it's a whole other podcast, I'm sure. But um, we'll do that I think I looked, months. I think we should. I looked at this girl and I said, hey, you, and I was really honest, Mike, you know, I think I'm, I'm realizing that I just, while you're good, you're nice, there's nothing really, it really is me. Like it's, that it, not the trope of it's, you, it's not you, it's me. It's like, no, this is me. And I'm realizing that I'm kind of just dating you because, you know, partly because I'm trying to avoid my own stuff. And that was a hard conversation, of course, because she, of course, got hurt. And, but I'm like, I can't <clears throat> knowingly stay in this because I kind of know how it's going to end based upon my past. Yeah. And I don't want to do that too. So I'm going to do it now. And which I know is hard. And so I did that. And that, of course, she, you know, it was sad for her, obviously. Um, because look at me. I mean, you know. That's uh, right. Very hard. Uh, yeah, tongue in cheek. Anyway, so I did that. Um, and I kept working my stuff and, and figuring out um, my pain and my anger and all the anger I was kind of pushing down, which is really covering a lot of the pain and my identity and feeling not enough and all this stuff that I, I now work on with guys in therapy. Um, and at the time... I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my therapist said, hey, you know, I ever thought about therapy because I knew I wanted to help people and I knew I wanted to do some type of healing work. And I thought it was kind of pastoral work. But the more I looked into it, I realized there's a, a need looking for my family is that while my theology training would be good in the sense of understanding scripture and exegesis and Greek and Hebrew, all this stuff, which is good. And I think important to really understand that stuff. I think what it didn't do well was, okay, here's the reality with churches. It's a bunch of people that have a lot of trauma and pain. Now, if you believe in Christianity and the scripture, there's a lot of good stuff healing in there and what, it, but there's no, I think there's a, a big absence of tools. What do we do now? And I want to learn actual tools of helping people navigate depression, anxiety, broken homes, trauma. And I think that was the, the, the need I saw. I'm like, I want to get actually trained and have real tools to apply to real life people's situations in the now. Um, and so that's what I did. I went back to school and did that, did the master's and then graduated in 2014 um, and then been doing it ever since. So that's a little bit of my personal story to get to know me a bit. Um, that's good, man. Thank you for being so vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. What's that like, uh, you know, share, I'm sure you've shared this before on, on things, but what's that like sharing this and then having clients who listen to it or um, know more of kind of your story? Is that, how do you think that vulnerability plays into therapy or maybe even pastoral care, you know? Yeah. Um, well, when I'm, yeah, I think the first thing I say when someone's in my office, I, you know, I don't share this openly because it's about them, not me. Um, but them hearing it, I, I think it's fine. I think if anything, it might humanize me more. And, and I try to be more real, real in my office to some degree. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a guy with, a degree and, and tools, but I'm human and I also have my struggles too. So I, my hope is that it, if anything, it'll be more relatable, um, that I've also gone through things and had to navigate some pain and ways of coping that wasn't so effective that in fact made more pain for myself and, um, you know, dealing with divorce and other things I think a lot of people go through. So my hope is that it, it again, it really just helps them if they do happen to listen to this or other times I've talked about it just to kind of, I guess, bridge the divide between, you know, therapist and, and client to make it more, hey, I'm a human at the end of the day and I just happen to have some training and that's really the difference. Um, 
Yeah, that's good, man. So that's my hope. Yeah, I think that I think it does do that. And you know, it resonates with me just as a fellow clinician, just, you know, to go, man, you know, as I'm hearing your story, everybody thinks about their story and we're all processing together and, you know, it's uh it's interesting to like get to look at it from clinician, but also man, but also child of divorce. You know, my parents divorced when I was about eight. So it's mm-hmm. crazy, like how strong that memory is of them sitting you down and talking to you. Like I can visualize it in my head and yeah, it's blurry and messy because of trauma and you know, all the things. Sure. But yeah. for many people listening, I remember being at a talk a while back and maybe last year, year before, and I was talking about divorce ACEs scores, right? And adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. and how divorce is one of the, I believe one of the most traumatic things a child can experience, even if it goes well. Oh yeah. Um, out of all yeah. of those things, you know, um, I mean, again, it's not good to measure traumas, but it's like the reality no. is divorce really impacts your worldview on commitment, sanctity, um, you know, where you get your identity, stability, you know, trust, mm-hmm. all these things. And then unfortunately with divorce, it just keeps happening, right? Like you have this one event with a sexual abuse situation. You have one traumatic event with, uh, you know, car wreck. You have, you know, these kind of big T traumas that are horrible and, and affect you. But divorce is the like kind of continual thing. I mean, we're 41 years old and I don't know about you, but like you're still dealing with the product of divorce, you know, even if it's not some big, huge, you know, crazy crisis. And I think, yeah, that's, I'm making, I'm sure we could have, we could talk hours on trauma and the different big T, little T. But I think one thing from my own experience, experiencing that, because of course, sexual trauma, I mean, that awful, also horrific, of course, and can be very damaging. But I think what you said is so point on, and that's definitely my personal experience that divorce was, you know, that one time event was I think the big drop of just the confusion, but everything you said was so true. My identity, confusion, trust, commitment, you know, where do we go from here? And it was reoccurring. Like you said, it really, really was every time, you know, I'd have to, deal with a family event. It's like, I got to now think about, okay, parents are divorced. And when they divorced, they didn't talk. And so for the longest time, I remember my wedding, where am I going to sit my mom? Where are going to sit my dad? How do I, you know, where do I place them strategically? And so that was, that was such a big consuming thought of how do I navigate, you know, we've been married for, it'll be 14 years. And I do remember like having the tables out. And I think that caused among other things, the biggest stressor for me of just like, looking at the map, I'm like, okay, I could put my dad here. And at the time, me and my dad, like, he was not his best self. So, you know, um, I know I wanted him there, but like, I didn't want him really involved. And so, and I was more concerned for my mom. And and so that was just such a nightmare. And then ended up dealing with it. Um, and actually my dad kind of pouted and left my wedding and that was a whole other thing. Um, but that's the point, right? Yeah, Is that as a yeah. child, because of that divorce, what should be a day where both parents are there celebrating you, celebrating your bride, right. you know, uh, celebrating what God is doing, instead of getting to enjoy that, you're managing their emotions and their feelings and totally. trying to, you know, stop conflict and trying to be, you know, the role that you need to be to make sure that the family is okay. Yeah. I was like the parent, essentially, the parent role of managing two kids, <laughs> which is what happens. And, and then, you know, flash forward having kids and married. It's like, okay, who do I invite to what? Like birthday parties. Who do I visit? How Christmas. do I visit? Yeah. And for the longest time, like I never, 
And actually, you know, the side story is I did, I did not talk to my dad for about three years. I wrote him a letter a few years back and essentially, you know, long story short said, hey, I do, I do love you and care for you. And right now, given your life choices um, and what you've been continuing to choose in your behavior, I'm essentially taking a step back at this time um, just because it's, I don't want my, my, you know, I just had my son, I think, who's now, who's going to be seven this year. And I'm like, I don't, like, I didn't want that for him. There was just so much stuff that he was doing, not him as a person, but his behavior. I'm like, I'm just not going to be around it. And, and I'm also being affected by it. I don't want my kid affected by it. So essentially I love you and I'm ready to talk when you are, but right now I, I don't really trust you. Like you're not a trustworthy person at this time, given your repeated behaviors. And I kind of, you know, I wrote in this in the letter, um, flash forward, now we probably have one of the best relationships we've ever had. Mm. He's done a lot of work though. He is a very more healthier version of himself. <laughs> um, and we've had a lot of long conversations. And most recently, my daughter just got baptized, who's two. And this is a crazy story. It's the first time my mom and my dad have been in the same room together. Um, where like really since I think my wedding day, um, and actually they had, they talked and it was like the first, and I, I may have been thinking recently, like, how's that going to go? <laughs> and asking, are you sure? Like, can we do it? Cause I got to, a, because I got to a point of like, I'm just not going to have to, I'm not gonna do separate things anymore. Just cause I don't have time for that. I'm like, I'm just gonna start inviting and like, I'm gonna let you guys deal with it. And if you want to come, I great. If you don't, I respect it, but I'm, I, I can't, I'm on no longer going to have to do all the separate stuff. I, I just not going to do it. And it was really cool to see that um, they had a conversation for the first time and it was like really, it was really positive. And I talked to both of them after and they both, they both were kind of in a way a little shocked, but also, so it's, my hope is that they can kind of, uh, it's not really co-parenting anymore, but you know, in a way, kind of that idea of being in the same room for the betterment of their kid and they could put their stuff aside and, and just be there. And so as now as grandparents, so I'm kind of looking forward to this next season of just not having to worry about that anymore. Um, because I've been, I've been, that's been back in mind for since marriage, 14 years. And even before that, it's like you said, that ongoing pain has been a long time. It doesn't stop. And until more recently, I'm like, wow, this is kind of a nice shift. Yeah. So man. praise God. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Um, pretty praise God. It's a, definitely a God thing. I would say he's definitely involved with that. <laughs> yeah, man. I think, I think, it's crazy for people to not realize that divorce is traumatic though. You know, I, like, oh, I, I was saying that earlier, like I said that at a talk and this lady came up after and she was like in her fifties, she's boo mm -hmm. crying. And she said, I don't think I've ever heard in church that divorce is traumatic. Um, you know, it's just something that's so common in our culture statistically that it's like, it just happens and you get over it. Or people like yeah. try to put the guise of like, well, it was a good divorce. You know, we didn't yell and scream at each other. And it's like, well, that was good for you guys. You know, it's good mm -hmm. for the parents. And yes, that's better than having, you know, a lot of abuse or a lot of trauma, but just at totally. its surface at its best is traumatic for kids. And yes. so, um, I think a lot of the work I do with people, you know, pre-divorce is like really trying to help them see like, here's the consequences of this. Like you think, because it's not a circumstance where someone's being abused or someone, you know, there's some affair, there's something that like 
oh, that's a definite out. You know, I have a mm-hmm. right to do this, especially within the Christian church. We have all these conversations about when is divorce right. okay and when it's yeah. not. Yeah. And everybody yeah. has different opinions. But the point being is like when you're in therapy going, well, I just don't want to be in this anymore. And it's like, well, why? Well, I don't like him or he's annoying or he works too much. And it's like, okay, well, how do we get here? Everybody, mm-hmm. most of the time, everybody's got a part to play to that point and helping totally. them see like, okay, I hear all that, but do you want to invest like a year? Like, and most of the time, right. People haven't even been to therapy. Like they're like in your office, like third session, I'm out or I want to be out. It's like, yeah. you've, you've done zero work with anyone yeah. to figure yeah. out if this is redeemable <laughs> or restorable at yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm like, I usually it'll go, you know, and maybe I'm a little bit more direct than some at times, but I'll usually just lay out the consequences. And I'm like, yeah. imagine if you did one or two years worth of therapy and then you could have 38 years of marriage that you and you, you originally wanted to have, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah. is it not worth that? Or do you want to have 30 to 40 years of your kid having to go to birthday, you know, and then you just go down the list of what we just talked about. And yeah. sometimes most of the time, like that light bulb for people is like, Oh man, like I didn't even yeah. have a clue that that's what it was going to be like. Yeah. Yeah. It's helpful when it does go on. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't always. Sometimes it doesn't always. Um, yeah, and I think that's the one thing with divorce that people, I, I think because it's so, I hate to normalize because it's so common, I think we just, and I think to some degree we we do sugarcoat it. You know, you see it on social media. It, mm, and I understand there's context. There's, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it just, what my personal opinion is that I think what I see a lot of out there, uh, which I, I could understand and totally disagree with is that it's all about them, the individual. It's well, you do it for you. I'm like, man, shoot. Like, if it's about you, then you're the sole focus, and your sense your kids are totally like back end. Because I hear that all the time. I had to do it for me. I'm like, okay, but it's not you, just about you anymore. You do have kids now. Maybe the divorce is still what's needed given the circumstances. Yes. But I think that's that swing, the pendulum swing of just about the individual and just about my needs and my hap, my hap, it's all that self, overly self-focus, selfishness, I think, at the end of the day, which is not really mature at all. Uh, it's like, you know, very um, teenage kind of com- impulsive about their own ego and their own feelings rather than their connection to the larger community, which is more mature and more the you know, kind of what we would assume the adult brain of like, hey, it's me, but me is connected to everything else that decisions I make for me, quote unquote. And I think of Dan Siegel in his book, Intraconnected, a great book, by the way, what's, you know, how he identifies, uh, how he um, defines the term self Mm -hmm. that in our culture, he says our Western culture has really done a travesty. And he made a joke with my name. It was pretty funny. Um, he's like, anyone called you that before? I'm like, yeah, I had that joke growing up. So he laughed, but that we missed, we have a mistaken identity of self as just this body. And he's like, that's a huge, that's problematic because that mistaken identity has caused so much pain and suffering in our world, whether it's classism, racism, sexism, misogyny, you know, all these things is a mistaken identity where it's just, just this self. And if I only, if it's just this body and I detach it from relationships, from, from our world, from like from nature, then it's a disservice. Um, and so we have to see self as highly 
intra-connected, he made up a term, with everything. So everything we do impacts everything else. And, I, and on social media, I see so much of this, this self-focus, you know, just for you. And I get there's a need for some of that, but I think it's 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 a it's a misdirection because it's it's like a little truth, but then mixed in with a bunch of just unhealth. And unfortunately, some people buy into it because it's easier, I would say, if I'm honest. It's easier to just to get your needs met versus actually look in the mirror and say, how am I responsible for this? And what do I need to do to change? Um, much more difficult. Yeah, that is. I think what I would challenge people, you know, if they're in a situation where their marriage is rough or they feel like divorce is looming or whatever, is to make sure that they do the hard thing, that they do the investment to say, okay, I've been in therapy. I've sought counsel from my spiritual leader. I'm looking biblically at my life and seeing if I'm matching that thing up. And then I, I will also say, you don't have to jump to divorce. You know, setting boundaries in the home, uh, then doing legal, even legal separation, and then working towards divorce from a Christian perspective, right. I think are all steps to getting, you know, clarity and making sure that this thing is right, making sure I don't have any responsibility or things I can change in the system that would impact the other person, setting yeah. up, you know, setting expectations for the kids to say, hey, listen, I'm setting these boundaries because we don't just take abuse, right? but also we just don't bail. Totally. And yeah. it's not all yeah. them. It's not all me. You know, let's figure all that out because all of that, your kids are watching and all yep. of that is impacting the way that divorce is going to affect the child. And mm-hmm. it's not that at the end you can't divorce. It's man, my kids at 19 or 20 or 30, we're going to have be able to have a conversation where I can say, well, your mom or your dad like didn't do the work. I Mm -hmm. I brought you to therapy. We talked about these things. We set these boundaries. They kept violating the boundary. They were unrepentant. And the kid go, yeah, mom. Yeah, dad. I I saw you. I was there. I saw everything you did. You did the the best you could. Yeah. Like that's important. And I don't think we talk about that enough as clinicians, but also just as the church of going, no, there's a lot of steps of things you can do. It's just harder because you just want to rip the bandaid off and pull the rip cord and get out of there. Yeah, we, we want to feel better. And I I could I empathize with that. Absolutely. I think we all want to feel better. And and if anything, you know, biologically we're wired to survive and to get away from pain. So I think there's that biological component that's just wired into us. Um at the same time, I think you're absolutely right. We are the model. And so is the model to our kids showing that we took the steps and did the hard work or was it just bail? Because it's not only about relationships, but it's out a model for everything else too. That if I just leave or I don't do the work because I would say most couples I do see, and, and I've had quite a few couples come in and, you know, they, a lot of them come in in crisis. They've never done therapy before. So something big happened. And so it's kind of unpacking a lot of yes history and journeying together. And now they're coming in 10, you know, 15 years down of already having a, these patterns. And, you know, in a way they're, they're stuck in the blame game and it's them and, and there's obviously some truth to that, but the other side they don't see is that they're part of it and that there's a story behind this too. And a lot of what we do is like, hey, help me understand why you do this. Then that's why we go to your childhood. What was conflict like? So we don't, most couples, it's surprising how many couples I talk to that don't know much about their partner's childhood home or 100%. conflict or anything. And so, because we don't, we just get into relationships and assume it's supposed to work. And, and I would say, especially in the church, more so in the church, it's like, well, I waited or that, that whole thing you waited and therefore it's supposed to be blessed. And now there's some truth to that, but I think the problem with that is that we're also making a lot of assumptions and it's a very narrow view of humanity when the reality is, no, we're coming in and this person's also bringing in their stuff and their life. And how do I understand that and have a better understanding? 
but we get into the, the mindset of like, well, it's supposed to be blessed. And what does blessed mean? Well, blessed is supposed to mean a certain thing. And if it's not there, you know, so, and that's, I think sometimes the church can add another layer of, I'm going to say a little bit unhealthy view because also the church doesn't have a really good conversation around a lot of these topics either. Hence, even your book is like, I think there's a big gap for having genuine, healthy conversation about relationships, sex, a whole bunch of stuff that we miss out on. It's more of the, you know, at least the church I grew up in, wait till marriage, you're fine, or don't do that. It, that's oh, the conversation yeah. around. And I'm like, that's a disservice. We need to have, we need to have a dialogues around this and, and understanding, not just it's good, bad, right, wrong, wait, don't wait, because that's not an act. There's no education there. It's more of a, it's a rule. It's a checkbox. Yep. And which I think I Jesus was working against, with Christian right? couples too. <laughs> I don't, I think he liked checkboxes. I think he was a, <laughs> you prayed today. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so I think a lot of couples get stuck in that. And, you know, I think of the couples I'm really working with now and yeah, it's all very similar. It's like a lot of the work I do is helping them one, get in touch with their own childhood and then understand their partner's childhood and then how that impacts them today and how they're kind of still stuck in the same cycles. And how if they don't change that, if they get divorced, they're just going to take that to the next relationship. It's not going to go anywhere. It might look a little different with a new person. It might be fluffy for a while, but eventually it's going to catch up with them. It's not going to go away. Um, and I think you're right. If they did the hard work now, even if they end up divorcing, if they realize, hey, I've set boundaries and the, 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 the my partner keeps violating it and it's damaging and harmful, if they don't do the work, they're going to find a similar relationship or do something very similar, most likely. You know? Yeah, I, we were talking about this yesterday, um, me and some clinicians staffing some cases, and I was saying, when it comes to boundaries, I think one of the things, when we have this very individualized psychology of, well, set your boundary, my boundaries don't matter to anybody else, you know, or, you know, I don't have to explain them to anyone. What happens is, is that if you, like, and I've been guilty of this personally, where as a two on the Enneagram, I just want everybody to be happy, I just want everybody to be okay. So let's say my dad or my mom or my sister or my wife have done something, I'm like, ah, it's not that big of a deal, I'll let it go. Oh, it's not that big of a deal, yeah. I'll let it go. Oh, that's not that big of a deal. I'll let it go. Hey, never do that again. And also, you know, like you just go in so hard and then they're like, wait, yeah. what? Like you've never even told me that this bothered you. Right. And now you're giving me a rigid, firm boundary. Yeah. Health is me going, oh yeah, my bad. Like that's on me. That's not a hundred percent your fault. Even though right. what you were doing was toxic and not okay. I, totally. I didn't have the confidence or the insight or the courage or the support to tell you to stop. Mm -hmm. And now you're surprised by it. And that is actually on me. And yeah. so I take responsibility for that. The boundary is still the same, but I just want you to know, like, this isn't all on you. I I'm sorry. I didn't tell you the 15 times you did it, but also the, the 15 times you did it were unhealthy, regardless if I told you or not. And that's something Absolutely. I feel like we have to teach people because what I see in divorce a lot is that like, I didn't tell you no, or I tried to, but I didn't have the skill and I wasn't confident with boundaries. And so now I'm just cutting, it's just cut off. Yeah. I see this with parents, you know, with like, you know, your, your older parents, yeah, they've done a bunch of unhealthy things and yes, you shouldn't let them do it, but cut off just because of, without that kind of like you sent that letter, you know, that's the healthy thing is like, Hey, here's why, here's what's required to be in relationship with me. You know, it, it, there's a stone wall and a gate and I'll let you in the gate, mm -hmm. but there's some things required for you to come into the gate. Yeah. Right. It's not a, it's not a stone wall without a door. No, no, it was, it was a clear, and I, and I second that, like, we don't have a good dialogue around this about boundary setting and what that means and, and how, 
we can still be work. It could always, it could be wrong and unhealthy. And it's also on us for not saying it's like both. And like, it's the diet, it's the, di the dialectics, right. Of two opposing truths or two at the same time. And they matter. And how do we move forward and now setting this boundary and being clear with here's the door and here's what I'm not okay with anymore. And here's what I'm going to do. And if you cross, if you hit this wall, here's what I'm going to do now. And if you want to walk the door, here's I'm willing. And that's what I did with my dad. And I gave it time. And and then we had, you know, slow conversations over almost two years of like once a quarter, just having dialogue. And I heard his, he was very consistent in his change. Like, okay. I'm, so I started to rebuild, really re-reconcile, talk about forgiveness and reconciliation. It took time. It was not overnight. Um, and more recently, my wife began to trust him because she also didn't trust him. Oh yeah. That, given, cause I got that added little bonus, right? The spouse. <laughs> Cause she had it a view too. She's like, I'm never trying, you know, he, she's like, every time you should talk to him, you'd come, I could see you every time you looked awful. You'd be down, you'd be sad. You'd be, you know, you'd just be a wreck after she's like, so no, but. And then know, she has to pay for that, right? And she has to pay for it because it's affecting me. And so, um, that's another piece is she also, she didn't have to, but I think she saw my ongoing conversation and the difference in my attitude coming out of these conversations. And so she started to say, maybe I'm willing to trust him and slowly allow him back into my life too, because it's not just me, it's us. Yeah. And I had to have conversations so good, like, Travis. what do you feel comfortable with? Because I, I definitely trust him now because I've had a lot of conversations, lots over the past three years of rebuilding. But where are you with this? And giving her time um, to even meet our kids. And then meeting our kids was a big deal for her. It's like, okay, she's like, that's good. I need a break. I'm not, I don't want, you know, I need a couple months before I see him again. So it was kind of like, we both had a process which was different. Um, and that's a whole other navigation thing too that I think we got to work on and talk through. That's beautiful. I mean, that's so good, man. Like, yeah. I know we didn't plan on getting into the whole divorce thing, but I think that was like yeah. such a great organic conversation that came out of this. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think people, we, you know, especially as men, you know, I think that effect happens differently to men and women and as therapists. But I think that fracture of relationships and trust and like we said, identity. Yeah. You find yourself not really knowing as a husband, as a father, your identity in the world and your role in the world. And, um, for me, it was the opposite. It was just, I was like anti-commitment forever because it was like, I just, mm. I don't want a divorce. So unless the situation yeah. is very clearly God ordained and very clearly perfect, perfect, I ain't doing it, you know? And, mm -hmm. and ultimately it was like, I don't want my kids to go through this. Like, yeah, I don't want to get married to the wrong person and then me, me suck or her suck. And then have kids. And then like, I knew what the consequences were for me and it was so painful. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways still is so painful, um, that, you know, I just couldn't bear it. And so it was more of yeah. like the self-destructive mechanism of, well, I'll just destroy myself in relationships because that'll be able to, I'll be able to control them and yep. none of them will be good enough. And then I'll never be in this situation. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't yeah. until doing some EMDR and going through therapy that, you know, yeah. and fasting, uh, and praying that the Holy Spirit and that all that work together just really freed me from some of that fear. And, yeah. and now being married, I believe we've been married 14 years too. And it's like, <laughs> man, thank God we have kids because I now have so much grace for my dad and my mom, because I can see why you would divorce somebody. And I love oh, my I, wife. She's my best yeah, friend and, yeah. and she's the best person I know, but because yeah. I'm so selfish Mm -hmm. I probably would have walked away in fights or left and spent the night somewhere else or done something mm. stupid. 
if not for one, knowing what divorce causes and two, having my kids right there in front of me to go, well, I'm never going to, yeah, this is result. Like this isn't on the table. So I have to resolve it. What are you going to do, Clint? Like what, yeah. how are you going to die to yourself? And then that scripture of, you know, God calling us, Christ calling us to lay our lives down for our wives. Oh, yeah. It's like, it. I'm like, well, whatever, you know, like <laughs> I guess yeah. I'm doing this, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, we don't talk about that enough. And I think people out there don't think that therapists or pastors would ever even think to do that or be in that realm mm-hmm. of thought or ever get to that place of pain. And man, we're all just humans, like you said earlier. Yeah. We, we might need to have a part two on this and go deeper because yeah, the whole church component is also something too that. Yeah, let's do that. Other, let's, uh, piece. let's have you back. Um, you know, another time and we'll dive into like the, the divorce in the church. There's a really good book. I, I, I say it's really good. I read it when I was at Fuller called, uh, remarriage in the church, divorce, mm. remarriage in the church or something. And at the time I remembered it being really good, but I'd have to I'll reread have to it. it. I'd have to reread it yeah. like 15 years later. Cause you know, we sure. change. Um, yeah, well we should, we could reread it and then have a dialogue and see, Hey, is this, <laughs> is this helpful or not? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's just so, it's, it's so difficult. Um, walking Christians through that nuance of divorce, you know, yeah, because yeah. there's some people who have like very hard, unless they cheated sexually with another person, you know, I had a couple yesterday, well, the wife, and she was just saying, you know, well, he's looked at porn, he's doing this, he's gone online and like, you know, messaged with women and, you know, had these online kind of relationships. And there was another therapist there and they're like, yeah, that's an, that's an affair, you know, like, she's like, yeah. but she didn't, he didn't sleep with anybody. I'm like, no, no, no. It's, this goes back to the whole heart matters thing that Christ is talking about in those moments. Like looking at your brother with anger is the same thing as murder in Christ's eyes, or he's mm-hmm. really raising the bar on our ability to um, keep the rules and be yeah. worthy of all these things. So yeah. how do we yeah. apply that? So yeah, I think that would be a great podcast for me and you to do and talk yeah. through. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, man. I'm conscious of the time for you too. <laughs> oh, good. What, um, any, any, I mean, we got a few more minutes. What, What's come out of this for you? Anything you want to talk through about that? Closing thoughts? You know, I think, yeah, I think you said it. I th- the, interesting that where the conversation went, because I, it's one of those, you never know what's going to come up. I think it was cool, you know, to recount my story again and landing on the divorce topic. Cause I think it's just such one that I think having more dialogue and education around it is needed. I think the trauma of divorce and the, the, the lasting impact. And I remember, you know, at the time, I think my therapist put it in frame for me. She's like, it's like, cause she had the viewpoint too, as like an ongoing trauma. She's like, if it would, in a way it'd be easier if your dad or mom would have died in some, now that would have been hard, traumatic, mm-hmm. of course, and sad. But, in, and to me it clicked because you're right. There would have been a, like a finality to it. Yep. Um, and I remember the time, every time I'd have to see my parents or in the same room, it was always like, I never knew what was gonna happen. So I was always on edge of like, who's gonna say what, how is this gonna go? So it's kind of like every time it's like, I'm reopening the wound time and time and time and time and time again. So it was like, you're right. Every time I go in this, it's like, I'm re-experiencing that pain again and my belief and all the confusion and the anger and the sadness and the hurt. And, and if I'm like, yeah, it kind of would have been easier if one of them would have passed, of course, sad, but I would have been able to kind of like grieve that and know that it's that it's sad that they're not here versus now I'm having to deal with this ongoing pain and hurt. 
Yeah, man. And I think that's something that isn't talked about enough. And and that's my thoughts is like, I think we need to have more conversations around that ongoing hurt and navigating now life. And that's if there's one divorce. Now imagine if there's two or three or step or, you know, half siblings, like this whole other nest of stuff. Um, and I think normalizing it in the sense of really giving people language, I think is what's needed. That this is hard. That is, this is difficult. This is super stressful. Um, because looking back now, it's like, yeah, that would have been helpful to have more language around that. I remember, and I remember that the words my therapist stood with me is that she is, it's like, it's ongoing and it would have been easier. I'm like, you're right. Um, and so that's my thought is I think, yeah, more conversation and especially in the church. I think the biggest thing is if you take, if you had the church lens to this, we need just more conversation in general around a lot of these topics to understand it, to have good understanding, good education, good dialogues, a lot of listening, um, and maybe I think shifting some perspectives that aren't so narrow, but kind of broadening it a bit. Mm-hmm. Cause I think too, in the church, when I think about the church, I think there's so much shame around so much of this stuff, so much unhealthy guilt. Um, and I think that just comes from a lot of fear and yeah, just and not I, knowing. I think that pushback, I mean, or I think that is so much of the secular world's response to that broken, unbiblical version of church is what's given us some of the language and some of the things. And I think if we could redeem, you know, I think Christ is in the work of redeeming all things and restoring all things. I think both of us, we've talked about this offline, but just the idea of like us being these people who bridge that gap between the church and psychology and, and the practical tools versus like, how do I apply these teachings of Jesus and these principles of Jesus um, in life and marriages and relationships, you know, the, there's not a proverbs about smartphones or pornography or, you know, there's principles and there's things about lust and there's things about, um, you know, not putting our hope in things that, that moth, you know, decays and destroys and rust kills, you know, all these things. But it's like, ultimately there needs to be a a redeeming quality to that thing in the church. And Mm -hmm. we need to take that back from psychology in some ways as Christians, you know, I think, yeah, you can do both, but I do think that the church um, needs to be equipped and needs to mm-hmm. be uh, supported in what they're trying to do and what they're doing. Because in spite of all the, the crap, God is doing amazing things with the church still. And yet, totally. if we could have these conversations or even bring awareness that these conversations need to be had, then I think the church could be doing a, a huge role in helping society, helping moms and dads, helping families navigate these issues like divorce in a better way instead of kind of being all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. needs more integration for sure. Yeah. Um, a reclaiming and, 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 you know, really a belief that God created that stuff. He creates psychology like that. He was behind that, you know? And so let's not, let's not be scared of it. How does this align and how does this enhance? It's not at odds, but you know, I think a lot, a church is thinking it's at odds, right? And so it becomes wrong and we separate it rather than, and I know Fuller has a pretty good program on kind of the integration of psychology and theology, which I think was your degree, right? Yep. The integration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so now I don't know how good the program was, but I know they're at least they're trying to. <laughs> no, it was great, man. I mean, honestly, yeah. Fuller was a phenomenal experience. Um, I mean, like everything else, when it came to trauma or it came to some, a lot of the things I had to learn after grad school, I mean, that's just the way of yeah. American society yeah. right now. With That's even mine, my secular school. I had to learn so much more in post. I mean, at the end of the day, there's so much to learn, so much. So, yeah. I always say that, uh, you know, there's two analogies that I've heard. One with, with uh, like the church, it's like there's a bookshelf 
and there's you know marriage ministry, children's ministry, music ministry, and then there's a little pamphlet on like missions. And yeah. I've heard a mission series, missionary say, no, the whole bookshelf is missions, and then all these things go in. And I was like, wow, it's beautiful. And it made yeah. me think about like, you know, whether you call it trauma responsive therapy or trauma informed therapy or just kind of holistic whole mind body, like that's the bookshelf and then marriage Mm -hmm. then parenting and, you know, child psychology, all that should go in it. But still, Mm -hmm. even in 2024, a lot, almost all grad schools and trainings is, I don't know what the bookshelf is making money, I guess, but, but like there's, you know, marriage and family and (laughs) and parenting and, you know, child therapy. And then there's a little pamphlet on like trauma informed or it's like, yeah, it's not a robust model. No, it's not. Not that I don't like Erickson or, you know, Pavlov, but it's like, is this what we're really learning about when it comes to be a clinician and talk to people about families and help people get through divorce? Like we only have this much time to learn in this many hours and we're spending time talking about this stuff. You know, it's, it's just wild. And I think the church does the same thing, right? Like they send a pastor to seminary and they get one class on sitting with a family or talking through things. Yeah. It's not enough. No, no. That's what I learned. We can barely do it. (laughs) We can, and we, my whole degree is dedicated to this, these topics and I'm still having to learn. And it's like, and I think that that's, and I feel sorry for pastors. It's like, that's not their job. Like they're not equipped that way. They have other skill set, And so I think it also goes back to the idea of we need a community and relationship and it's not a solo project. This right. is a group project, body but we all can't, you can't do everything, which is why Paul talked about different parts of the body, the head, the hands, the feet. We need that. And we do need people who read exegesis and scripture and Hebrew and Greek. We need that. That's important. We need the healers. We need people who are trained in more of the healing aspect, like, you know, therapists in our day and age, things like that, because we have different skill sets. And then how do we come together? you know, and work together for the, for the unity and the betterment of the, of the whole. So um, that's a big drive why I became a therapist. I saw the need because I'm like, yeah, they do this, but they, they have one class and that is not enough. Like, and like you said, we have degrees, not enough. Like I did so much more work outside of grad school and grad school is almost three years for me. Right. So it, and I've done so much more work outside of grad school, probably more. Um, as far as expertise and trainings Absolutely. and certifications and things. And I, there's still so much I don't know, still so much I need to learn, which is also exciting in our field too. It is. And that would be the, my encouragement to kind of sign us off with everybody listening is like, it's all a work in progress. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're sitting out there thinking, you know, Clinton Travis have all this information and that's why things go well or pastors have certain information and that's why their life's successful. It's like, we're all a mess. We're all dealing with this the best we can. We're on different spectrums. I do think, you know, for me, there, my own work and therapy, my own, like being under a pastor and being discipled, my own peer groups of people who I'm confessing sin with, like all of that speeds the process up. Right. Right. Like there's no way that those biblical principles and disciplines don't help, but man, the Holy spirit is on a journey with each one of us to be, be more like Christ. And that looks different for every person. It doesn't mean we're all supposed to look like the same Jesus. We're all supposed to look like the image of God that he's given us and, and Mm. those personalities and those giftings. And, and if we're doing that all together in a community, then we find our place and we feel like our identity is in the sweet spot Mm. and we're in our, we're in our pocket going, man, this is, Mm. this is fantastic. And so if you're listening, I hope this was helpful. I hope that, you know, if you've come from a divorce, if you're going through a divorce, if you've just gotten through with a divorce, that 
this is not to shame you or put you down mm. or to belittle the process. It's to open up some options. And a couple of things I think of is one, we hope that it feel, makes you feel validated if you're a child who's been through a divorce and, mm. and you've never really processed. So go talk to a therapist, like meet with a yeah. pastor, talk through some of this pain like you heard in Travis's story where he processed and worked through those things and that led to freedom in his marriages and his relationships and his parenting and, and even back to a redemptive conversation with his father. And then if you're in the middle of a divorce, make sure that you're doing everything that you can to live with yourself afterwards that you've processed, mm. that you've sought counsel, that you've looked at the the options, that you've seen if there's any personal responsibility on your end so that you can make sure that you can have a conversation with your kids or with your future spouse and you're not mm. carrying that trash into another marriage or into another relationship. And yeah. then if you're just a person listening to this and you know, you're just learning, be a person that goes out there and helps. With the people yeah. that are going through divorces in your life, be empathetic, be sympathetic, don't come with all the answers, but man, find that sweet balance of challenging them, holding them accountable while also just walking with them through the pain and it's messy yeah. and they'll make mistakes, but you know, we have to believe that God is not, you know, he's not put off by the mystery. He's not put off by the confusion. He's not surprised. So dude, yeah. thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I love talking with you. We'll keep texting and, and connecting and yeah, we'll set another day for you to come back and I'd love to do a, a three three uh person podcast with you and ellie so we'll figure it out i was yeah. gonna say three-way but then that would have been weird and so yeah you know, it's always you know i think of the snl skit <laughs> absolutely um, so we were talking the other day about like new worship songs that are out and like man just the way your brain can go into just so many stupid things anyway thank you for coming on man absolutely all right god bless you guys and have a good week <laughs>